0: Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 74, my friends. We are with Michaela Renee Johnson today. This interview coming up here in a minute. She's the author of Teetering on Disaster. Be You Find Happy has a podcast of the same name. Uh, author, speaker, psychotherapist, podcast host, mom and wife, all these great things. She has an eight-year-old just like I do. My son's turning eight, actually, on the day this podcast should be coming out, March 1st. Uh, He was born almost on leap day in uh, 2012, which was a leap year, as you might imagine. And now he's turning eight in another leap year. So there's the math for you. He he didn't quite come till the next morning, March 1st. So uh, (laughs) happy birthday, son, Matthew. He's turning eight. I want to remind you guys, as always, you are absolutely priceless. Nothing can change that. And what do we mean by that? You can have, do, be whatever you want to be. There's so much power in us as humans that we take for granted and or don't tap into in our lives. And I just want to make sure that everybody is aware of this priceless state and so many things that we have to offer that are, we say priceless, above price, above the monetary constraints of this world. Uh, so many th- problems exist in this world, and there's lots and lots of problems that can't be solved with money. Some of those, a lot of times, are health concerns and things. You look at your your body, your mind, your your organs and your eyes and all these various things that we have that just can't be replaced. You have so much about you that is priceless. We talked in some recent episodes, one in particular, about your priceless worth and people who've had a face transplant alone. And the cost of that is, uh, I believe, over a million dollars just for a face. And that's just, again, putting things in monetary terms. These things can't be replaced. You can't be replaced. We all need to hear that and be reminded of it. And also, you are never alone goes along with that. Uh, We get in these places, sometimes maybe you feel desperate, wanting to turn to other things, uh, or maybe even in a sad, depressed, possibly even suicidal place. And if you're in that place, please reach out. Go to the Suicide Hotline. Contact me. Uh, I'm not always equipped with everything to solve everyone's problems, but I'm here and available to talk to people. And you've also got friends, family, neighbors, depending on your current life circumstances. Uh, You can contact me through our social media at Empower101 on Instagram and Twitter empowerhumans.com info at empowerhumans.com is an email address and uh, all those things uh, I have access to and can respond our challenges as always study keep studying start studying uh, if you haven't been and keep studying if you have been I just uh, got library cards finally here in Las Vegas where I'm living currently and uh, found that there's yet another app. We've talked in the past about Hoopla Digital, audiobooks and ebooks and even uh, video and other media available through these apps now. And there's another one, at least here in Las Vegas, I think another place is called Libby. Uh, that has other, when you have a library card, you have access to all this extra technology these days that didn't exist, at least when I was a kid where, uh, you could access all these things electronically. So we don't have a lot of excuses when I'm driving around. Uh, I've been listening to this autobiography of Sally field of all people. And a lot of people, various stations in life fascinate me because I love people's stories. And Michaela Renee Johnson is one of those people. We get in depth some of her story and what brought her to this place. And I'm not going to give it away because she can by listening to the interview here. So aside from study, want to quickly also add Make Great Moments. Make those with your loved ones in particular, especially family. This is your children, your spouse, and other people that should be closest to us. Make great moments there. Simple little things. We talked in this interview about that. It could just be a little note, I love you, note on the mirror. Just going a little bit of the extra mile, a little bit of effort goes a very, very long way. We talked about that. And of course, our last challenge is always, let's keep doing this podcast together. I don't mean to be all over the map today. We had a great conversation. I think you're going to really enjoy it. So without further ado, here is our conversation with the one and only author, speaker, psychotherapist, podcast host, all these great hats she wears, Michaela Renee Johnson. Here we go. Excited to be here today with Michaela Renee Johnson. Uh, you wear a lot of hats. We've had some folks on recently who have a bunch of hats, too. But you have a very unique uh, thing that we're going to talk about today, Michaela. But you're an author of several books, uh, speaker, psychotherapist, podcast host, of course, mom and wife, and uh, probably several others. But those are some of the key <laughs> the key hats. How are you doing today, Michaela?
1: Absolutely. I'm doing so well, Phil. Thanks for having me
0: on. Yeah, it's, it's our pleasure to have you. And uh, now... A lot of what you do focuses around happiness. It sounds like, and and being happy in spite of, for lack of better you know phrasing, uh, difficult circumstances. And uh, am I correct on that, based on what I've looked at from what you do and some of your work?
1: Absolutely. I I really believe that happiness is attainable for everybody, but I do think that um, sometimes, especially in our modern world with social media and things like that, people have created some pretty unrealistic expectations Mm -hmm. of what happiness might look like and, and how long it may last. And so I really promote the idea that happiness is attainable, but it's always in spite of life setbacks. So there's always going to be something that is threatening yeah. to steal your happy factor. And I and I say this um, example because people can really relate to this. You may be having a fabulous day. You're going somewhere wonderful. You're cruising down the road. You get stuck in traffic. Suddenly now you're going to be late. People are driving like morons. And, <laughs> and all of a sudden your happy factor and everything that was bringing you happiness is gone. And so yeah. that's a prime example of how quickly our happy factor can be taken from us. And happiness is really about resiliency and how quickly you can you can bounce back in the face of those kinds of things.
0: Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more, honestly. Uh, and it's such a topic, I think we could all agree as humans across all spectrums and nationalities, creed, race, we all want to be happy. <laughs> we might define that a little differently, person to person, culture to culture. But uh, that word happiness... Uh, and, and by the way, I look up word roots the other day, I looked up, what are the roots of the word happy? And it basically means, in other words, good fortune. Um, but I think we, I think we all kind of have a general idea of what happy means, but, uh, I want to talk about all the sensitive things of what kind of triggers happy and unhappy. Tell me a little about your history first, uh, as far as what led you to this place. And, uh, you were telling me a little bit about your background, uh, as a kid, before we got started here, but t- tell our audience some of that and what, uh, what that all has meant for you. Sure.
1: I, I had a relatively normal upbringing until I was about 11 years old. And uh-huh. my dad at the time had a wildly successful construction business during the construction boom. And uh, when the market crashed in 92, he, uh, Rather than declaring bankruptcy, decided that he would sell everything that we owned to pay everyone that we owed, and uh, bought a twenty-seven foot fifth wheel and moved us up to a rural piece of land in the Sierra Nevadas. And mm. we rebuilt our lives there, starting with you know no electricity, no running water. We lived very simply. Yeah. Um, me being a teenager <laughs> and going through kind of the formative years. Uh, probably had the most awareness of what was happening for my younger brothers. It was more of uh, uh, just a never-ending camping adventure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so uh, (laughs) it really shaped kind of my perspective on things. Um, Sadly, though, uh, and not so sadly, when I turned 18, I decided that I was going to show my parents. I was going to do it better than them. Um, You know, I immediately gravitated towards kind of, the material definition of success and happiness meaning uh i you know I, I i kind of grew into into fancy cars and and the big home and kind of all of that mm-hmm. and my story Teetering on Disaster, a memoir is about that process of growing up with nothing and then obtaining everything again as an adult in my own way, and then losing everything again. And that process of kind of realizing the lifestyle that my parents had chosen and, and really where my roots were and, um, and what happiness really meant as far as extrinsic versus intrinsic, uh, things in life. And so, um, you know, when, when I first wrote teetering, it started as an online journal, uh, a blog before blog was a word. Yeah. And it really (laughs) kind of gained a lot of, um, it gained a lot of momentum because a lot of people could relate to that sense of loss. And, Mm -hmm. um, and it was also told in a very funny and humorous way where people were entertained as well, I think. So, uh, the book did, did very well. And then it republished again this year and has done even better um in its second publishing but what's interesting is that if somebody had told me you know after after this you're going to leave your marketing careers working for a fortune 500 at the time and traveling the united states you're going to become a licensed psychotherapist Mm -hmm. Um, you're going to go on to write four children's (laughs) books as you raise your son then start a podcast and then publish a self-help book i would have laughed. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: mean, that yeah, version yeah.
1: of myself back then, um, was always a writer. My <laughs> undergraduate degree is in journalism, but it just, it, I wasn't a complete person in, in a way that I could inspire others outside of the humorous way I was sharing my own story it took mm-hmm. a journey of you know 10 12 years of kind of working on myself and working through my stuff and learning how to better communicate and set boundaries and um connect with my inner self my true authentic self and learning how to speak my truth with grace and things like that to really get where I feel um now, I can sit and hold space for people who are going through the same kinds of things.
0: Wow. Wow. That's quite a story and process. And boy, I could ask you about a thousand questions right now. But uh, we don't have time <laughs> for a thousand, I don't think, today. But uh, real quick, before you got to Sierra Nevadas, where were you?
1: So we were living in what is Granite Bay. It's a suburb outside of Sacramento at the time. It was uh-huh. very up and coming. And yeah. when we first moved there, it was like, well, when I was actually born and raised there, but it, so it was Turkey farms and now it's 1000000 dollar
0: homes. <laughs> and yeah. 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 California evolves like that. And lots of places do, but like one sixth of our population of the United States lives in California. Uh, Yeah,
1: I noticed that on the highways.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you you live in LA area, don't you?
1: So no, actually, I moved down to San Diego and then relocated back up to about a mile from the property that I was raised on ironically i live a very sustaining life i have like a homestead full of animals and farm and we yeah we grow our own food and we're off the grid and yeah so it's i've kind of gone full full circle back to that lifestyle which is
0: which is
1: certainly an interesting story in and of
0: itself i love that i've lived in la it sounds like you've lived in the area and beautiful areas beautiful weather san diego and all that So you've come kind of full circle in some ways, and you talked about obtaining things, losing things. Um, Do you want to get more in in depth as to some of what happened there, Uh, the roller coaster, so to speak, of this process?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, from an emotional standpoint, you know, I was on a journey um, through college. I, I was working full time. I was, you know, I wanted to obtain things that... I felt would give me the credibility um, that I needed to get to the next place in life. So for me, that was tangible things. That was, you know, the fancy car and the house by the beach and, and those sorts of things. And um, what I realized though, is at the time I was in a, in a very, very toxic relationship and that had started at a young age. And, um, and I was breaking down. So I often say that, you know, in a world of black and white, I was becoming a shade of gray. I was um, not clear on who I was. I was not clear on what happiness was because although I had obtained all these great things and was doing financially so well, I wasn't happy. As a matter of fact, I was very, very unhappy. Um, you know, and I'm careful to toss out words like depressed or anxious or things like that, because, uh, I've seen the power of labels working as a psychotherapist, but I definitely had moments yeah. of depression and moments of anxiety and moments of just feeling, um, kind of this uneasiness that I just, if life was going to be like this, I was never gonna experience happiness and um, yeah. everything kind of came to a head in that relationship um, which ultimately left me no choice but to leave and uh, so through the process of kind of selling and splitting everything um, I realized like wow I'm back to square one and uh, at the same time I was, the happiest that I'd been in years. I felt so free. I, um, mm. I came up to visit my family and my brothers took me up snow whaling, which was something we did as kids where we hop in four wheel drive vehicles and go up to where the snow plow stops yeah. and then four wheel drive through the snow. Uh, oh. we, you know, we did all these things that I realized, uh, brought me so much happiness that had nothing to do with stuff. And, uh, yeah. So, so through that process, um, I ended up having a lot of people reaching out to me. I was still traveling uh, nationally as a marketing director for a company. And I had people reaching out to me that were reading the online journal and was saying, Oh my gosh, I, you know, I needed this story today. And I just started to feel like there's something else in me that I'm supposed to be doing. And I Mm -hmm. always knew that writing was a huge passion and things like that. So I ended up publishing um, teetering on disaster then, and it did very well. Um, And I was seeing my own psychotherapist at the time. And what was crazy is I would come into her office and she would have her shoes off and these cute little colorful socks and her cup of tea and she'd put her blanket over her lap and <laughs> and I thought I want that job
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: so I so I signed up for for a master's degree program to become a psychotherapist and it kind of happened like that um, wow. you know just feeling inspired by uh, somebody else and then feeling that I wasn't living my my true my true journey yet. And, uh, so as I talk to you now, I'm actually sitting on my couch in my psychotherapy office with my blanket on and my shoes off. <laughs> nice.
0: nice. I'm jealous. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Wow. I love the, I love the story. I love your, uh, honesty and authenticity with it and so on as well. Um, as you went through this process, uh, what what did you find were the components of real, true, meaningful, lasting happiness as far? Because an authenticity, I know you talk about that. We just mentioned uh, among other things. And then you talked about feeling free. I'm just picking out things that uh, stood out to me as you explained some of this. Uh, but what else as far as because you talk about I, I read yesterday that the average American household income is in the neighborhood of like fifty six thousand dollars. Most people don't have a lot of, you know beach houses and nice things. And a lot of people make a lot less than that. Uh, but a lot of people think money is the key to it and you've you've been down those roads. So so talk to me about all that. what what did we learn here? and what most importantly, are the real components of, like we said, real meaningful lasting happiness?
1: So I think that if I had to summarize it, and I say this often, it really comes down to being able to speak your truth with grace um, in whatever relationships you're in, be it work, be it family, be it friendships. um, When we start to feel that uneasiness, that uncomfortability, that sadness, the depression, anxiety, things like that, I think it's when we're not aligning with our inner selves. So we're in situations, environments, relationships where we're not speaking who we are. We're not feeling like we can... truly be who we are. We're being a version of something that we think someone else wants us to be, um, either because we're afraid Mm -hmm. of what will happen. Um, or it's because we so strongly desire to have that relationship that we don't want to upset someone and, uh, or that job or whatever it might be. And when we start to tell, um, these little like micro fibs, about who we are and we start to kind of go down that path, we start to become the microfib we've created. And then what happens is we get down the line and we go, God, I'm just not jiving. Something's not making me happy. And it's because we're in this space where we're not being our authentic self. Mm-hmm. And so for, for me, I think one of the critical components to happiness is being able to speak your truth with grace, no matter what the situation is, to be able to and you know some people say that's setting boundaries, that's communicating well, whatever it might be, it's expressing on the daily who you are and what you need. and what we need and what we want are very different. and so the the second piece of all of that mm. is that you have to know who you are, and what you need. And and I think a lot of us don't. I think a lot of us um, are doing what we have to do to get by, mm-hmm. and uh, we're not seeking that thing inside of us that lights us up. Oh. And so I think when we start to align with um, our passion and who we are and what we want, and I and I often will ask clients, you know, what is the legacy you want to leave? What do you want people to say about you when you're not here? And often what they say is not something they're giving people an opportunity to experience. So, you know, if if you want your headstone to say, world's greatest mom, and you're working 60 hours a week and not spending any time with your children, then you're going to be unhappy. So, I I mean, I think in those ways you can kind of start to tap into who am I, what do I want, what do I need, and how am I expressing that in my life? And how am I showing up for those opportunities when they they present themselves?
0: Yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of uh, substance there in what you just said, uh, talking about just being authentic and and being getting to know oneself. You use a word that stood stood out to me of alignment. You know, we've talked sometimes in this podcast, uh, someone taught me a while back, the word joy, at least in Hebrew, literally means an alignment uh, and a return to something also. And, and so it sounds like that's kind of uh, congruent somewhat with what you're saying as well. And when you say speak your truth with grace, Uh, if you don't mind elaborating on what do you mean by that exactly? And, and then you also talk about living a courageous life, uh, because we mentioned fear and stuff. Uh, what what do we mean by speaking your truth with grace?
1: Yeah, I think often uh, people get to a place where they're really good at speaking their truth in a really crappy way. (laughs) So, Hmm. uh, sometimes when we hit a wall, we're really good at spewing at people because we've, (laughs) um, you know, we've gotten to the end of our rope. And that's, that's not going to help um, others to hear us. And so the, the grace piece means always coming at it from a space that is true to yourself and uses I feel words rather than attacking someone else for the way they're responding to you. So, uh, you know, we can express a lot of what we need and what we want so long as we're doing it in a way that doesn't hurt others or attack others. And if you're coming at it from... And, you know, I I use this as an example because sometimes what we want doesn't align with what others are hopeful from us. Um, and I use this one as, um, an example, but this probably isn't the best example in this situation, but you know, sometimes we want to have sobriety in our life as example and other people in our life that doesn't fit, that doesn't go with what they're looking for. And so, um, you know, rather than saying, I'll use this, this is not the best, but rather than saying, You know, when when we go out, all we do is drink and then we fight and it's pointless. You know, it's saying something like, you know, I really need to have some some clarity and clarity for me is going to look like not drinking when we go out. Mm -hmm. And it's just a little shift of the language. That's not the greatest example, but a lot of times we feel a certain way about something that someone is doing, um, in our life or something that we're doing. And we find it easy to kind of blame the other person or to, uh, to phrase it in such a way that it makes it about the other person rather than coming at it from like, this is what I need and here's why. Yeah. And people can't argue how you feel, right? Like if you say to me, if I said, how's your day? And you say, you know, it didn't start off great. I've kind of got a little bit of a headache and I'm just kind of in a sour mood. I can't say, no, you're not. (laughs) I I can't argue how you feel. Um, But if I say, how's your day? And you say, well, you forgot to make me coffee this morning. And so it started my day bad. Then immediately, or you forgot to pick up your shoes and I tripped over them this morning um, and it started my day sour, you know, then then I can immediately get on the defensive because you've made it about me. And these are kind of blaring examples that people wouldn't necessarily use, but just to give you an idea of the types of language that, we're, that we do often kind of go to.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I appreciate you explaining that more, uh, both for my sake and hopefully some out there who may be listening. I uh, That's an interesting point. And it seems like in order to do that, there has to be a self-awareness and maybe a kind of a conscious regular effort, maybe day by day, to uh, be in tune. Whether And we talked a lot recently in our podcast about things like meditation and things like that, but uh, just being in tune with who you are as a person and and accepting it. And I went through a program recently, I've mentioned this recently in the podcast, that was kind of impactful for me. There's a guy named Artie Wu Uh, I don't know if you've heard of him, but W... I haven't, but I
1: like his name.
0: Yeah, it's a cool name. I I wish that was my name. (laughs) It's (laughs) a
1: celebrity name.
0: Yeah, and he he hasn't paid me to promote this or anything, but he has this seven-day healing thing uh, as far as a lot of people have inner wounds that they're not fully in tune with what and why. But the bottom line is he talks about two things that we do, which are shielding and soothing. And Hmm. some of the things that you're talking about kind of ring true with some of what he teaches with that. Um, It's a very simple program, but it really impacted me in the sense of kind of realizing we as humans need coping mechanisms with life uh, because life can be difficult. But it sounds like you're differentiating the difficulty of life with happiness. And I've heard a lot of folks, including uh, Deepak Chopra and some of these kind of Eastern philosophy people, all the way to, of course, folks like you, uh, just talking about uh, being in tune with ourselves and being happy no matter what in the, you know, in the now is kind of a mindfulness meditation term. <laughs> but yeah. uh, let's elaborate on some of that, because you talk about this in all kinds of different uh, categories. And I don't mean to to blabber here about some things, but uh, you talk about uh, relationships. You talk about raising kids. Um, let's elaborate more as far as maybe some principles in context in particular, maybe with relationships. Uh, at first, what do you yeah, think? And I'd that?
1: love to circle back on what you said about yeah. connecting with yourself. I just, I really feel like that has to occur on the daily
0: okay. and,
1: um, a lot of people don't make space for that. So, um, you know, humans in general, we're creatures of habit. We like habit. It's familiar. Even if the habit isn't serving us, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even if the true. habit is incredibly toxic or, um, you know brings us a heartache every day um sometimes we do it just because we know it and that feels good to us in some level and so um i i even encourage people to start by checking themselves with their habits i mean and it's one of the most basic basic things that you can do. But, you know, what is your before bed habit? What is the first thing you do in the morning? Where, uh, you know, how do you back out of your garage? What direction do you go to work? Um, You know, what roads do you take? And are there alternatives? There's so many, you know, opportunities throughout our day where we've created these habits that we don't even necessarily like or enjoy. Um, but we do them because they're comfortable. And those spaces, those are windows to check in with yourself and say, "How how is this serving me? And is there something I could be doing alternately that might bring me more happiness? So instead of eating a half a gallon of Haagen-Dazs mm-hmm. before bed, is there something else that I could be doing that could bring me that boost of oxytocin or that little thrill of endorphin that brings me happiness in a different way. Like perhaps it's a really yummy flavored herbal tea or something like that. So there's all sorts of windows to um, check in with yourself and see in what ways can I improve my quality of life. And it doesn't have to be these major aha moments. It can be little tiny things like instead of taking the highway home, take the back road home, you know, and (laughs) stop off at your favorite market and pick up, you know, find a little mom, Paul market and find a little something in that market that you really enjoy that you stop off and you do that every day. Mm. And, and that just kind of resets that happy factor. If you've had a bad day at work or something like that. Yeah. So there's lots of windows for that. And I think that people think it has to be like, I have to sit down and do an hour of meditation to connect with myself. And it can really, it can really be so much more simpler than that.
0: Yeah. Good point. And, and again, a lot of what's on my mind as we talk about this is something you said very early on here, which is the word freedom. And it continues to kind of permeate some of what you're saying, even though we're not necessarily saying it all the time. But the habits in and of themselves, it seems like, can become prisons of sorts if uh, we cling to them too hard. And like you talk about, taking a different route home, simple things like that, where life becomes even just a little bit more adventurous, uh, just can really open our horizons to not being in a, we use the word rut a lot of times in our culture, uh, and Opening doors to... Th- you may have remembered the the movie some years ago. Remember Yes Man with Jim Carrey? Yeah,
1: I just watched that recently. It's funny
0: you said that. <laughs> yeah, good. Well, we're on the same wavelength somehow. But yeah, and part of the premise of that movie... Uh, is he, he decides for a period of time, he's just, he's just going to keep saying, yes, you've watched it more recently than me. So you can pipe in, but, uh, (laughs) but, and, and, but all these doors open for him and all these joyful events and things, uh, in part of it, spoiler as part of it, it's kind of a spoiler alert, but (laughs) without, it's too many specifics, but everything from interacting with people to, to playing music and all these various things that he starts to do. Um, Absolutely. And, and how does all this apply that we're talking about uh, with things like relationships and parenting? Um, we're talking on some individual things, getting to know oneself, but then on the outward, how we interact with each other and those we love in particular. How does all this apply, would you say?
1: You know, and at a time in America where divorce rates are you know higher than they've ever been, and um, you know, and of course that impacts any children as far as those relationships go and things like that. I mean, I think this is such an apropos question, um, mm-hmm. and I think I think it kind of ties back into a lot of what we talked about with habit, um, the narrative that we create as. Um, the type of parent you're going to be, the type of spouse that you're going to be, um, or the type of spouse you think you are or aren't, and the type of parent you think you are or aren't. and we create these narratives that um, either happen for self-protection or happen out of self-desire. And um, as we're chugging along, sometimes you realize like, well, that's not the parent that I want to be. Yeah. Or this is not the wife that I want to be. You know, I, I, I don't want to, uh, not be able to go out and have a girl's night because my husband is controlling or fearful or doesn't have his own confidence. Or, um, I don't want to be the wife who is never home because I'm working all the time. And, um, you know, my spouse ends up finding emotional relationships in other places. Um, I don't want to be the parent who yells or I don't want to be the parent who's on my phone all the time. Uh, And a lot of times we've created these narratives and then we perpetuate them with our habits. So um, when you come home on the way home from school, you turn on the radio and, um, you know, you get home and then you're on your phone and your kid does their homework whatever it might be, whatever the evening looks like. And you're, the, you're also the parent who's saying, and I wish I was more present with my child. I wish I had um, more communication. I wish I knew more about their life. And yet there were all these windows during the day for you to shift that narrative, for you to change your habits in a way that would allow you to be more present. Like instead of turning on the radio, asking some open-ended questions. Um, instead of coming home and jumping on your phone, doing something together, be it playing a game of sorry or a quick game of blackjack or going for a walk together and taking a new path that you've never taken before, something like that. Mm-hmm. My findings with kids especially, and I've talked about this on on my own podcast, you know, mom guilt, dad guilt, parent guilt, it's big thing. Um, But kids in general, you know, parents say they don't want to be with me. They'd rather be in their phone. They'd rather play their game. They'd rather do this. And that is absolutely an incorrect statement. Mm. Um, And my guess is that parent has created that environment because it serves the parent first. So in other words, I let my kid watch TV. I let my kid be on their phone because I had all these other things I had to get done. So it became Mm. a habit. And so now the kid is choosing that because that's what you've taught the child to choose. Mm. And in reality, they would choose you. Humans would rather choose human interaction, even if it's with their parents any day. We're social creatures. That's something that's inbred in us. It's very deep in our reptilian brain. Mm. So, So where can you... Slowly start to reinsert those moments because of connection because. At this point, you've created enough habits that it's going to feel awkward for everybody involved if you suddenly start being like, okay, we're not doing music on the way home, and we're no longer doing our phones, and we're going to start doing all things parent and kid time. It's going to feel really awkward for yeah. everybody. So it's, you know, it's where can you insert those little minor shifts and things like that. And then the other thing is, I see this a lot with parents, you know, we we let our parent And by our parent, I mean our mom and dad come out in our parenting to our children and (laughs) we get upset. You know, I hated when my mom did that. I hated when my dad did that. And yet here I am doing it too. (laughs) And then I don't know how to deal with it because I've already created this awkwardness where I've responded in the same way that my parent taught me how to respond. And so um, then the situation perpetuates. Do as I say, not as I do. And, and that's where I say a perfect window of opportunity to jump in, circle back with your child and say, look, I didn't respond the greatest. And I hope um, that you can accept my apology and saying, I'm going to try to work harder next time on not responding like that. Yeah. And even if it wasn't aimed at your child, but it was how you responded to somebody else's in the car or at the grocery store or wherever, you know, and they witness that where you say, you know what, that was a really cruddy way to respond to that situation. And I'm going to work on that because I didn't like what I saw in myself.
0: Yeah. Uh, boy, you got so much uh, substance in the stuff you're saying. And, uh, and a lot of it rings true. I'm a parent. Some folks listening may or may not be too, but uh, parent or not, we all interact as people generally. And, uh, and I think – well, some of what you said, I think kids can be instructive in the sense of what's the nature of children. They come into this world, and they're very adventurous, and they're very curious, and they want to touch things and see things and go places. And, um, I, and kids tend to be uh, joyful, happy creatures, uh, and I think that we can learn a lot from these simple things. And a lot of what you're saying is simple stuff, you know, it, you know and I'll admit when I grew up, I grew up mostly with my dad. And, uh, no offense, dad, he didn't do everything perfectly. He knows this, but a lot of times we'd sit in front of the TV and have fast food. And it's because he worked and it was a tough situation in some ways. (laughs) And some of that's rubbed off of me in some ways. Sometimes my kids, I want to sit in front of the TV and I'm trying to set this thing where it's just a simple adjustment. Even if we just eat at the table for 15 to 30 minutes and talk about the day. And if we're going to watch TV, sure, regulate it a little bit. We're not going to watch for 12 hours, but, uh, time and place for things. And people can gauge that individually for, for their life, their needs, the amount of kids they have and, and, uh, and so on. But, um,
1: I, I often hear, um, my own therapist, cause I, you know, go to a counselor as well <laughs> because right. that's just kind of par for the course. Cool. But, um, she often says little, little things generate big emotions and that can be in a positive way too. So little, little time together can generate a lot of happiness.
0: Excellent. Yeah. And that's a, an adage throughout uh, history that people, various forms of the little things make the difference. And that's just, and that's true in a relationship, whether it's, you know, a spouse, here's a little card or here's a little note on the mirror in the morning, or here's (laughs) whatever, the extra kiss or the just the extra effort that's seemingly little, but, uh, you know, has massive implications. <laughs> and yet,
1: where do, our, where do we let our habits get in the way of those windows of opportunity? And I think that's really part of that whole piece of speaking your truth with grace. You know, I am a loving person and I would like to put that window uh, note, but I get so caught up in my morning um, that I just forget, you know, so so where is that conscious effort that you can insert that little change? Yeah. Um To create a little more happiness for you and others.
0: Yeah. And then, yeah, great point. And how do we navigate these waters when it comes to interpersonal interaction, which could be with kids, spouses or coworkers or whoever roommate? Uh, how do we navigate these waters? And, and this is kind of a question for you just from the standpoint of we are all going to make mistakes and fall short in some ways, just as imperfect people. I think we can all agree we are. That's one of the many things we have in common. <laughs> but sometimes people's feelings are hurt. And then like you talked about, and I think back Elton John had this song where he'd say, sorry seems to be the hardest word. <laughs> but you talk about being clear and honest and and just sorry when we need to be, that seems to be an essential component. Go ahead. What are your, some of your thoughts of navigating well, let me this?
1: clarify that. So, yeah, I want to share my thought with you on that because I think people get hung up on this a lot. Um, because the nature of being in a relationship is that it's a togetherness, right? So there's, there's yeah. 50, 50, 40, 60, 70, 30, whatever. There's, there's never 100 zero right we're in a relationship and so what I tell people that are struggling with this is you don't have to apologize for everything just apologize for your part and just say I'm sorry for my part in this and your part may only be 10 percent it may (laughs) only be five percent but it's not zero you have a part and when people start to draw that connection to the idea that hey I can say, I'm sorry for my part and I don't have to own everything. That feels so much better to me. That feels so much more truthful in my heart because I know even if I was 95% that you were 5% too. Mm. So it feels better to apologize for just my part and, and recognize that that's not, that's not being short. That's actually, Uh, really good way to not enable the other person to write it off as if they had nothing to do with it. Right. Because we all have something to do with everything, no matter what. (laughs) It's just the nature of a relationship.
0: Well, yeah, I think, I think generally you're right. I don't know that I would, and uh, this isn't, I'm trying to challenge you either. But I think you are right that, and we should only be sorry, but genuinely be for whatever portion of something is our responsibility. There are certain things, too, where the th- thing with relationships, I don't want to say the problem because it's not a problem, but the thing with it is it's, it's such an intimate thing on all levels if, you know, if it's done right. And then there's a lot of sensitivity and a lot of people's inner issues come out, too. Um, But and there's cases you reference where people might uh, like somebody going out and having an affair or something. uh, Sometimes I don't know that we can say that's that some portion is the other person. In some cases, maybe it is. And those are very tough conversations to have that you didn't do this and you didn't. So I chose to do that, but they still didn't have to choose that. Just like you know, Michaela cuts me off. So I shoot you, you know, sorry, not trying to be too morbid, but I didn't have to respond that way. The person didn't have to respond and go cheat either. So that's completely on them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah.
1: And so the language in those cases, and I see this all the time
0: Mm -hmm. is,
1: um, you know, it's not, I'm sorry that you cheated on me. Right. Or or something like that. It's, Mm -hmm. um, I'm sorry for my part in the breakdown of our marriage. Yeah, because everybody had a part in that. Like I, I love to side with the person who, um, who was the victim in that role. But I work with a lot of couples where that would get me nowhere to repairing their marriage. Yeah. Um, because the the reality is yes, the person made a very poor choice and there were a lot of other things that they could have done first. Um, in the way of communication, in the way of divorce, in the way of whatever, because affairs truly are one of the most damaging things that somebody can do in a, in a marriage. But the other person also had a part in that lack of communication that was existing in the marriage to begin with yeah. before the affair happened. So in that way, that's where I see that kind of play out. It's not to, not to say that you know the person that owns the affair owns the affair, no doubt. Yeah. And, and they have to take responsibility for that so there's a difference in that you know accepting responsibility for the ways in which we're hurting others yeah um and if that person had spoken their truth truth with grace a long time before they wouldn't have gotten to the point of the affair
0: yeah well and these are i guess we should acknowledge case by case individual things there's particular caveats with the individuals involved and circumstances There are certain behaviors that are very damaging and sometimes perhaps irreparable, and that's a very absolutist kind of word, but I guess it gets down to choices. If we can't repair it because it's just so damaging and or we just aren't willing, it's like an affair. uh, That's up to the individuals because I've seen people do both. (laughs) More often than not, when an affair is involved, it's, it's the end of a relationship just for a bunch of reasons, including trust. But uh, And we don't need to go too far down that rabbit hole, but I I appreciate all the concepts you're bringing up and the uh, kind of the mindset surrounding it and realizing that most people didn't get married or into a relationship with the intention of somebody cheating. I think some people do in some ways, like they know that's who they are and they just kind of keep that hidden until they just do it. But again, too far down the rabbit hole. I don't want to go too far. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> find find good communication and love and trust and authenticity and hopefully with those it gets down to like you're saying sets of habits if you have daily regular habits and and a regular date night and things that keep people close whatever that might be uh for each individual couple uh these things maybe tend to not happen <laughs> but uh did you have any more you want to add on that? Cause I want to talk real quick before we wrap up about kind of youth and teenagers and stuff as well. Kind of any insights you might have for them, but go ahead. What would you like to touch on <laughs> in light of all the uh, stuff I've said? Go ahead.
1: Oh no. I, yeah. I was just going to say, you know, If you're finding yourself in a situation where, you know, you're maybe talking to someone a little bit more at work than, you know, you probably should be for your relationship and or you're on the receiving end where you feel like your spouse is kind of checking out and things like that, you know, these are great opportunities to perhaps go see a couples counselor or something like that and create a safe space for where you can share some of your feelings out of the respect and love that you had when you originally said your vows. And I, and I think that's, that's really an important component to it is, is that's the graceful piece is like, Mm. I owe you that. I I owe you that level of respect to at least share. Even when I know that what I'm going to say, which is that I've fallen out of love with you hurts. Um, and, and that's the speaking your truth with grace piece. And that's the example I didn't share earlier, but could have shared where sometimes what we say isn't going to make the other person happy. Mm. Um, and that's where it comes down to really how you say it and how you present it in such a way that it can feel safe and loving, even when the words are not something the other person is going to want to hear.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think any relationship can thrive with feelings of safety and open channels of communication. And, you know, I've talked to close friends, married and so on, that all of us agree at this stage that anyone and everyone should be in some sort of, especially in a relationship, some sort of couples counseling, just to kind of help navigate those waters and uh, maybe learn some, uh, maybe principles and habits that maybe we didn't learn from our parents or upbringing in some way. Yeah, And it, like you say, as a psychotherapist yourself, you have your own counselor. <laughs> so yeah, it's, absolutely. and, and that's nothing to be ashamed of. I go to counseling myself and I think, I, and it's been a healthy thing for me because it opens up my mind and my channels of communication. Absolutely. Is there anything you mentioned, You have, do you have just one child or do you have more?
1: I just have one, ok.
0: Yeah. And as a parent, uh, I don't know how old your child is, but how what what would you say on these terms as far as happiness and, you know, youth and teenagers? And we'll wrap up here only in the interest of time, and maybe we can continue at a later date too, with the sequel. But what would yeah, you say I'd to love that. to young people?
1: Yeah. So just real quickly to kind of touch on that. My son is eight, but I do work with quite a few teenagers. And the important thing to remember as a parent is that you are in the passenger seat of the car of their life. They're in their driver's seat. And that means from a very young age, from from almost infancy, you need to be giving them the choices um, to make the decisions for their own life and, and seeing how those natural consequences play out. There are very few instances where you need to take the keys or you need to take the steering wheel and those are life or death situations that you need to reserve that for i see a lot of parents that want to um let their parent but let their child sit on their lap while they're driving the car and, and that's just not the way that it works. You've got to yeah. hop over in the passenger seat. You've got to let the kid be in the driver's seat of their life. Uh, let them let them make their own choices. It can be something as simple as asking your five-year-old or your three-year-old or four-year-old, would you like to brush your teeth or take a bath first? Yeah. And, and just letting them make that choice is huge. If they start throwing a temper tantrum about something that they want, we say, hey, in this family, we use our negotiation skills. Yeah. Mom wants this. You want that. How can we meet in the middle? Let's talk about that. In what ways can we negotiate something that works for everybody here? Yeah, And absolutely. there are going to be times where you're going to set a parameter as a parent that – they're not going to like for their own safety. And that's different, but there are so many opportunities where as a parent, you can let them drive the car and you can say, Hey, it's kind of raining. You might want to slow down or Hey, you know, it's, I notice up ahead that there's some, there's some construction lights. You might want to merge over here in the right lane And, and just guiding their acknowledgement and experience of life and and being a part of that as a passenger and not as the driver who's in control of their life.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, th- I think effective parenting is empowering parenting where you're empowering them uh, because eventually in most cases parents go first and the kids need to be on their own, be able to stand their own two feet, relationships, jobs, and so on, drive cars and all, all these things that we do as adults. and uh, And all the parenting books... Tend to kind of, the good ones (laughs) tend to talk about empowering kids to make decisions. And when something goes wrong, give them alternates of choice. You can do this, you can do this, or we can leave in two minutes, or we can leave in five minutes. Which one? And give them opportunities to choose. And, uh, you know, parenting with love and logic and uh, scream free parenting. And of course, I'm sure your books too, especially be you find happy. I'm just kind of coming back full circle cuz I know we got to wrap up here too. We could go I I love these conversations with uh, someone like you and uh I for one could go for hours if we didn't all have other obligations. But, thank you.
1: Yeah, no, what such a great conversation today.
0: Yeah, thank you for your time and again, uh Michaela Renee Johnson, author of Be You, Find Happy, Teetering on Disaster a bunch of children's books you also have a fiction book you mentioned Me and Mo, and these are the other things and also psychotherapist, podcast host and probably gold medalist mom and wife too and uh, (laughs) thank you for your time anything you want to add as we close here? No,
1: thanks so much for having me, it was
0: great Okay, great, for our audience as usual empower yourself, empower the world around you thank you Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.